just talk a, a little bit uh, about the Olympics because it's happening right now. And I thought, you know, today I think is the closing ceremonies. It's the, uh, the uh, how many of you had a chance to watch a little bit of the Olympics, a little participation this morning? Um, you guys are in good company because um, almost half of the world, uh, the people on our planet have tuned in to watch some of the Olympics. That's 3.6 billion people. If you didn't watch part of the Olympics, I don't know, there might be something wrong with you, you know. There, there's, something, there's something that connects with us uh, in, this, in this athletic event. I don't know what it is, but whether it's, the, whether it's the events themselves or whether it's the countries being represented, but, you know, you sit on your couch and you're watching them eating your Doritos and they, they win, you know, all of a sudden they jump over this pole and, you know, they run this amazing race and it's like they get the gold medal and you're like, yeah, we did it! I can't believe it! We, we, we took that gold medal! And it's like, we feel like a part of that just because we're Canadian. Are you guys the same? No? Uh, yeah, it's like there's something about that that is like that sense of pride that we accomplished something. And then I realized I didn't do a whole lot. You know, I was really inspired by, by their determination, their commitment, their talent, their effort, their sacrifice. They had their eye on the prize, and we get to, we get to sort of sit there and watch the moment where they win. But we weren't there for the whole journey. You know, the, the banks try and show us some of the commercials of, well, you, you know, we were there back when they were training, and we helped fund these athletes, and they show them working out in the gym and getting up at 4 a.m., and, and I'm thinking, I watched them and realized, you know, they did a whole lot more to win that gold medal than I did, right? I, I helped a little, but, but not a lot, and I thought, you know, I was inspired. I was, I was really inspired by, by um, how, uh, just how amazing human beings can be, and I thought, I'm going to try and work out, so I, uh, I started doing this thing called HIT Training. And it hit me bad. You know, the first day, I did one day, and I'm, I'm still in pain. That was two weeks ago. And I was like, I quit. You know, I can't do this, like, every day. And I thought, you know what, how, how often do we have things like that in our lives? And we're like, we're inspired by something. We're like, I'm going to do that. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's relational. And we're like, yeah, you know, I want to I spend more time with my wife. Or I'm going to spend more time studying the Bible. Or I want to do something. You know, I just join a small group or whatever it is. And you're inspired. And all of a sudden, there's like that little bit of resistance. And it's like, you know, for some, it's just so easy to be like, oh, this is too much work. I, you know, I, this, I was inspired, but I don't know if I can really uh, push all the way through. But what we celebrate is those ones who push all the way through and they make it, just making it to the Olympics is an amazing thing. You don't have to win a gold medal to be, you know, an amazing athlete. If you make it to the Olympics, you've put in time, you've put in effort to get to that place. And we celebrate that. And the New Testament writers actually recognize that connection between, between us and that thought of, of the, the um, athletics or the games um, uh, or that type of um, thing resonating with us. Back in uh, the, uh, the New Testament times, the Olympics were there back then. The ancient Olympics, they were called the games back then. They had been around for about 780 years by the time Christ was born. And uh, the, 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 they were there for another 300 years. So as the writers of the New Testament were writing, they were familiar with these, with these games, these sports. And, and they often wrote to the churches of that day these things that uh, correlated with that. And so this morning, we want to take a look at a couple of those. One is in Hebrews. So if you have your Bible, you can scroll over to Hebrews. Or if you still have pages, it's closer to the back. And uh, this, the, the, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who he is. We know he was writing to people who understood Jewish culture. We believe he was writing to Jewish followers of Jesus. And we know that those followers of Christ were going through some adversity. They were going through some difficult stuff. And they weren't sure, you know, you know what they were, um, which way they were kind of heading. And so the writer writes them and gives them this challenge. And I believe the challenge is not just for them, it's for us as well. So in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, and then he begins, he's about to challenge them with something. 
But as I noted there on the, in the yellow, the word therefore is, is kind of an important word. So this writer, he writes to them, and, but before he gives them this challenge that's going to require some perspiration, he gives them a whole lot of inspiration first. And I know that with anybody trying to win an event, they need some inspiration before they're actually going to go for it. They need to know that that gold medal or that making the Olympics, that inspiration that they keep their eyes on something, they need that in order to put in the time and effort because when it hurts, you need to see something ahead of you to even give you hope to continue on. So he says, you know, you might be going through some adversity, but here, let me remind you of a few things. And he goes through Hebrews chapter 11, and he reminds them of the great racers who ran ahead of them. They're all in this race of faith, and he says, you know, there's this guy named Noah. You guys have heard of him. Noah trusted and obeyed God and built a boat in the desert when he had never seen a raindrop. How's this thing going to float? But he just, he trusted that God knew. He obeyed God. And you know how long it took him to do that? A hundred years. hundred years of every day going out there and building this boat just simply trusting and obeying God. His life was saved as a result. And they said in Hebrews 11, it was because of his faith, simply because he trusted that God is who he says he is and God can do what he says he can do. And he lived his life out of that and he was recorded as a result. Abraham, it says he trusted and obeyed God and he left his land, moved, but he didn't even know where he was going. And Mark Jefferson shared that a couple of weeks ago that we see the end result of the story, but we don't realize what it would be like to be like, hey, sell your house, I want you to move and just continue walking down Highway 3 until I tell you to stop. And just so you know, it's going to be about 15 to 20 years. We'd be like, what? Who does that? All of us would think that person's weird. And yet they said it's because of faith that they trusted that God is who he says he is and God can do what he said he can do. Sarah, Sarah believed God that God could keep his promises and she had a child when she was 90. Miraculous, but it was said because of her faith that she believed God would keep the promise. I'm believing for something like that to happen at Kingsway yet one of these days. That water's got to work for 90s, you know, so look out. Uh, but I, you know, he goes on and says, just as long as it doesn't happen to Beth, we're good. So, <laughs> but, but he lists all these people, like he lists Isaiah, um, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses, and he goes one after another. And then he talks about how the Israelites, by faith, walked across the Red Sea, stepped into the water when they were being followed by the, by the army of the Egyptians. And it says that by faith, they were able to cross that Red Sea safely. The walls of Jericho, he talks about how by faith, the Israelites wandered around the walls of Jericho, and all they did was shout, and those walls came down, and they won that battle. You know, it was by faith, because you can imagine them at that day when they faced the, this, this city, and it's like, God told us we're just supposed to shout, and the thing's going to come down. And they're all like murmuring, yeah, that's not going to happen, that's not going to happen. And then God tells Joseph, uh, Joshua, says, listen, tell those people to stop talking. They're all too negative. This is going to happen. So they're not allowed to talk at all. So they don't talk at all. Well, for a whole week, they can't talk. For you women, I don't know how. That, that's a miracle itself, right? But he, get, he gets to that. Uh, delete that. He gets to that place. He get, they get to that place where, you know, uh, after a whole week of not talking, he's like, okay, now you can shout. You've got to imagine that they shouted their brains out at that point. And yet he says, you know, the miraculous thing is those walls fell down. And it says, by faith, they stood around this city and just shouted. Why? Because they trusted that God is who he says he is, and he can do what he said he can do. And they had to walk that out. Rahab was a prostitute who lived in that city of Jericho at that moment. And two spies had come into her house, and they had told her, listen, we're gonna, this whole place is going to be destroyed. But if you hang a red cord out of your window, you're going to be saved. Hang a red cord out the window? God's going to obliterate everything, and I just put a red rope out the window, and I'm, that's going to save me? Guess what she did? She put a red rope out the window. The walls fell down everywhere except in her section. And she's in the lineage of Jesus as a result. Why? It says it was by faith. Simply trusting that. It doesn't make sense, 
But I trust that God is who he says he is, and I trust that he can do what he said he can do. And I want to read all of Hebrews 11, but it would have taken too long to go through that. But I would challenge you, go home and just read those stories inspiring of the racers who've gone ahead of us running this life and this race of faith. But Hebrews chapter 11, I just want to take you to the, um, verse 32, just give you a couple thoughts from there. Verse 32, even the writer of Hebrews says, how much more after talking about all of these people do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and all the prophets. He says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. You know, it's just two little words, overthrew kingdoms. Do you realize that there was a whole lot of effort and a whole lot of stuff that went into that? But it was by faith that these people overthrew kingdoms. It says they ruled with justice. They received what God promised them by faith. They shut the mouths of lions, story of Daniel. You know, they quenched the flames of fire. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. And women received their loved ones back again from death. All these amazing things that happen by faith. And you, you read about that, and you're like, man, I'm inspired. I, I would love to be that to be the story of my life, that by faith, these amazing things happen in my life. And then there's this word that we, you know, this word, but. You know, but, it all of a sudden changes the tone because it says this, but. And remember, he's still saying, by faith. By faith, others were tortured. Wait a second. That's not on my coffee mug at home. You know, Wait, it says they were tortured. They refused to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. They were looking ahead still in those moments of torture. It says some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some, by faith, were sawn in half. That's why we dismiss the children before we go into this. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. But here's a sentence. All of these people earned a good reputation, a good testimony because of their faith. See, a lot of times we have this thought that faith is only going to bring us all this good stuff in our life. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be like by faith you conquer. And if you didn't conquer, you didn't have any faith. You know, or if, the, if you, um, you're facing, you know, things that in life that's all good, well, of course it's good because you are, you're with God. You've got faith. But he says, you know what, there's some other things that come up in this, in this life. And he reminds them of saying all of these people have gone, a, gone ahead of you. And all of them received a good testimony of their faith. And it says, yet none of them received all that God had promised them. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. They never gave up on the promises of salvation even when they were at death's door. They never gave up on that promise that, that there would be a Messiah, that there would be salvation. And he said, you know what? It's this idea that they're not even going to experience all that they lived their lives for, all that they ran their race of faith for without us. They lived all of their life by faith. You know, when you think about the Olympics, it's like the 4 by 100. I don't know if you watched that event. That, one's in, that, is, that is so cool. It's, it's so quick. And what do they do? As each one runs up, they pass that baton to the next guy, and he runs his leg of the race. 
As you see in Hebrews 11, the writer of Hebrews wrote this idea of it was from generation to generation to generation that by faith they lived their life, they ran the race of faith, and they handed the baton to the next person, the next generation who ran their race of faith, and it was different, but then they handed the baton to the next generation, and it was as each of those parts handed that baton on to the next one that it comes all the way to the New Testament where he's writing to these Hebrew people who are under adversity saying, listen, the baton is being passed to you. Look at all the people who have gone before you. Look at all those races of faith. The baton is now in your hands. And I believe that they, because they ran their race of faith and passed that on through the generations, that it comes to us. That that baton of running a race, a life of faith, comes to me and it comes to you. What are we going to do with this life of faith? I look at Usain Bolt and Andre de Grasse, you know, these two guys, you know, running the race and smiling at each other. Uh, you know, it, it was, there's memes all over the internet about this, some completely inappropriate for church. But as you look at this, um, at this picture, you know, you see Usain Bolt, he's like, yeah, you know what, uh, uh, I'm still the champ. I'm still the man. He won, he's won three gold medals this time. He's won nine gold medals. But he says, but that, that guy, he's the next one. You know, nine gold medals enough for you saying, you know, it's time for Canada to get some gold medals in sprinting. And he's like, you know, it's like passing that torch on. This is probably my last race. There's another person coming up behind me to carry, carry the torch of this. And, you know, it's the same thought with faith, that that torch has been passed to us, that it's in our hands at this moment, that we are, each and every one of us are running a race of faith. And so as, as the writer wrote to Hebrews, he said in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12, therefore, since we, who's that? What's it say? We. Who's we? We, 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 us. He says, since we, you and me, we're, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith. He says, there's a crowd of people who are watching from eternity right now. You know, all those people I just mentioned. But there's a crowd of witnesses around you today, at your work, at your school, in your house. People who are watching this race of faith. He says, so he says this, let us strip off every weight. Who? Us. Let us strip off the weights that slow us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God set before us. I love these verses. Uh, They're some of the most inspiring ones for me, Hebrews chapter 12. But it says it's this idea there was inspiration before perspiration. But he asks for some perspiration. He asks for some effort in this. And it says this. Give him three thoughts. He says, let us strip off the weights. That's a visual picture, you know, the idea of, of it's difficult to run with weights. You know, for those who like, you know, running is not difficult enough, they make CrossFit and they make them carry these, um, they make them carry these huge weights uh, while they're running. Uh, but I don't know, like, have you ever run in wet clothes? It's like wet jeans, it's like, oh, it slows you down. Or, you know, farming, you're out in the, in the fields in your muddy boots and it's like, man, everything is just that extra bit of weight. It's difficult to run a race of faith when you're carrying burdens uh, along the way. And he said, you know, strip off those weights. God's not going to do that for you. He didn't say, hey, let God strip off those weights for you. He's like, let us. Let us take those things off that are burdening us down. And you know what those things are? Things that cares of this world. These distractions that, that face our, our life. Like, you know, for some, it's like, I God, I want to live my life trusting and following you. And like, well, but I also want to be really rich. God, you know, I want to live my life trusting you and, and, and going through my life. But, but you know what? My, my, my kids, you know, that it's just, a, I don't know what's wrong with my teenager. You know, God, I want, to, I want to live my life trusting in you. And it's like, ah, oh, but I wonder what my people at work are going to think about me. Or you worry about things. Or, or, you know, you get busy. Or you try and impress people. And it's all these things that try and just get you to lose sight of what your goal is. 
These distractions, he says, you know, you've got to strip off those distractions if you're going to successfully run a race of faith. Um, yesterday, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday morning I was out, uh, out in, the, in the garden. I saw these, this whole line of ants climbing, uh, crawling across. They were moving their, ne- their, their ant hill from one place to another just because they had nothing else to do, I guess. But as I, as I saw that line, you, know, you see hundreds of ants going back and forth in this little line. And, and I remember watching the movie Ants, and they say it was like the twig of 93 that dropped in and just messed them all up. So I was like... That's that. Let's try that. So I grabbed this stick and stuck it in the middle of the line to see what happened. And sure enough, they just all start piling up against the stick. And all of a sudden, they, the one side, they don't know where to go anymore. It's like just over the stick, but they can't find their way. And so all of a sudden, it just becomes this mass of ants going in all directions, running all, all over the place. And I was like, you know, it seems like that's sometimes a picture of our life. It's like those, those things were like, I'm, I'm going to serve Christ. I'm going to live for Christ. And it's like, oh, there's this distraction. And then it's all of a sudden you find yourself in your Christian life burnt out. You feel like you're running in circles and you don't really know, you know, God, what do you want for my life? I have no idea anymore. Hey, I, she's pretty. You know, you're like running, running around. It's like, hey, God, I don't know what you want for my Oh, mom, phone bill. How am I going to pay, pay that? And it's like you, all of a sudden you're stuck. It's like every once in a while it's like that clarity comes to you. You're like, oh, I got my eyes on the prize. And those distractions, you think you got to strip off those weights. And, uh, you know, in our culture, we're so easily distracted. Some of you are distracted right now. It's like, you know, we have this thing called ADD in our culture that we celebrate. I don't think half the people who are, think they have ADD actually have ADD. They just want to blame something on why I can't focus. It's like, you know, you meet people and like, yeah, I have ADD. Oh, like, me too. You know, we both have ADD. Let's Whoa, shiny stuff, you know. And it's like the, there's, there's, this thing that we've magnified it, but you know what's really unfortunate is that there is a lot of spiritual ADD in our churches and in our lives. It's like you know it because it's that moment you're like, you know what? I'm inspired by what I heard at church. I'm going to go home and I'm, I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to start reading through the Gospels. I want to see what, you know, who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. Facebook? Whoa! Save the sloths! No way! i got to click on that. And just like that, that distraction happens so, so quickly and so easily. Say, hey, you got to strip those things off if you're going to run a race of faith that's successful. You know, I say thoughts too. It's sometimes it becomes that intentional thing where you just have to say, you know, I won't allow busyness or anything to distract me from my relationship with Christ. I'm just not going to allow it. God, put some triggers in my heart that remind me just to prioritize relationship with you. Distraction happens all the time. Uh, there's a great story of Hank Aaron and Yogi Berra, two uh, old baseball players. Uh, it's, Yogi Berra is a back catcher uh, for the New York Yankees. Hank Aaron was, uh, he was the, the, the big hitter for the Braves back then. And, and so they tell, the story they, they tell of how Hank Aaron came up to bat one uh, in the World Series, 1957 World Series. Uh, and so as he comes up to, to bat, Yogi Bear is there. And he all, Yogi Bear is known for just being the one to distract every batter any way he could. You know, when they walked up and their shoes were white, he'd throw dirt on their shoes just before they were up to, about to bat. You know, he'd be always talking to them or whatever. So when Hank Aaron comes up, he says to him, hey, Henry, you're holding the bat wrong. You know, you got to turn it so you can read the trademark. If you can't read the trademark, you know, you're holding the bat wrong. Hank Aaron doesn't say a thing. First pitch comes down to him. He cranks it out of the park. He runs all the way around the bases, and he gets by home plate. He stops, and he says, hey, I didn't come up here to read. <laughs> you know, it's like that thought of saying, you know what? I got my eye on what I'm actually here to do. And it's funny. Those distractions, they happen so, so simply and easily. But he's saying, you know what? If you want us to be successful in a race of faith, you've got to strip those things off. You've got to find ways to make sure those distractions are no longer in the way. And then he says this, let us strip off sin. The sin that so easily trips us up. And that idea of tripping us up, he says, it's, a, it's like a competitor thwarting 
uh, a racer in every direction. He says, that's what it's like. It's like you try and run one way, and it just doesn't work. And you try and go another way, and it doesn't work. You try and go this way, it doesn't work. So you go this way, it doesn't work. You're like, what is that thing that just keeps getting in my way? He says, that's how sin works. He says, it's going to thwart that, that thing. You know, and it's, it's uh, I was thinking about some of these races, and I was like, I didn't have time to show the whole list of them. But if you Google people celebrating wins too early, it is the most hilarious stuff. Unless, I mean, it, uh, it depends on the type of person you are. To me, it's hilarious. Uh, but these people, you know, you see, see lots of them who, they let their pride get in the way, and because of it, they lose, they lose their focus. And it's, they lose their focus for a moment and it can cost them. There's, I have a picture here for you in the first picture. You can see the guy's name is uh, Tangai Pepiat, and he's the guy, and he's, he's winning a steeplechase race, and he starts getting the crowd into it. And you can watch the video of this at home, but as he does that, you can see how far back the other runner is. But because of that pride and, like, cheer for me as I go across this line, uh, the other guy actually beats him right by a nose to the end and takes away his win. And you see the shock on his face. It was just this idea of, you know, I'm running the race, I'm running the race. I'm like, oh, check out me. It's like it just sneaks in so easily. That pride, and all of a sudden, it's like it takes him out at the very last minute. And you're the enemy. He'd love to get you to focus on your sin. For some of you, that's sin that's behind you. It's stuff that you've done so many years ago, and he just wants you to keep looking back at that as if that determines where you're going. I remember as a kid in grade school, went to Dunville School, and uh, the kid, I was in grade four, and we all were playing together at recess with the grade fives and sixes. And so a couple grade sixers who were like way taller than us decided to play football with the whole grade four class. So we're all, we're all there, and they line up, and the two grade six guys just throw the ball back and forth and walk down the field, and all the little grade four kids try and jump and catch the ball. Then there's that moment that every kid dreams of where you're in that spot, and you see that guy didn't throw the ball hard enough. And now it's coming over, and you can see that you can catch it. And it was me, and I'm like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, I can catch this. I grab the ball, and I look ahead. Those two guys are on the far sidelines, and it's like clear running all the way through. And I begin to book it for the, for the end zone. And as I'm running, uh, you know, for you guys, maybe it's like in your mind it plays out different. It's like chariots of fire or whatever. For me, it was like those, individual, you know, those, those invisible children there were like, Mark, Mark, Mark. As I'm running down there. All of a sudden, I hear behind me the footsteps of somebody bigger than me. And as I turn my head and I see, he's behind me. He's a little ways back. But as I kept, I'm watching him as I'm running. And I ran straight into the goalpost. Blood. Yeah, you guys would laugh. Uh, blood everywhere. Like, knocked me just flat out. Ball went one way. Teeth and whatever face was just mangled. Uh, and, and, and I'm like, stunned. Did the touchdown count? No, because I never actually crossed that line. It was a, that, that simple thing of because I'm looking back, it ends up taking me out. And you think, yeah, that's funny in grade four. It's not funny in life. It's not funny when the enemy tells you, you know, just keep looking back at all your screw-ups and all your failures. You know, God, I want to follow you. Yeah, but you know what? I, I know what you did when you were a teenager. God, I want to follow you. Yeah, well, you got a little addiction problem, don't you? <laughs> God, I, I want to follow you. And those voices are there. You couldn't keep your marriage together. You know, your kids grew up not to serve the Lord. Whatever it is, it's those lies. He's like, get you keep looking back at failures behind you. Can I tell you something? That, that your past does not determine the fact that God has a destination and a great future for you. That never changes. But the enemy tries so hard to get us to look back at things we've done, poor decisions, things we've heard where people say, you know, back in, back in, day, in the day, you know, you can't do that. You'll never, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never make it. Yeah, sure, you know, guys at work, oh, yeah, you're a Christian? Pfft, yeah, we know, you know, some of the stuff you do. And it's like, you're never going to make it that way. Or maybe it's things you've said. 
Maybe it's things that you've said about yourself. You're like, you know what? I just don't think that I can ever beat that addiction. I don't think that I can ever uh, actually live this life for Christ. I don't think I can. And you hear those things being played over uh, in, in your head. And it says, you know, the enemy wants you to keep looking back. Well, Paul, Paul, Apostle Paul, a guy who murdered people, who knew that the enemy would try and cause him to look back, said this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved the things, these things, or that I've already reached perfection. He's like, I know I'm not there, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. The reason Jesus died, he says, I keep going for that goal. He says, no, dear brothers, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing. I forget the past. I forget all that stuff that's behind me. I just keep looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He's like, I may not have achieved perfection yet. I'm, my past, it may be all, all a mess still, but I'm not giving up the race. I'm going to keep going. And you know, that's the same thought for us, to keep on running no matter what's in your past. It's like God's got GPS. It's like, you know, you might have been running the race and kind of got off track. And maybe this morning, he's just waking you up saying, hey, listen, you know, if you follow me, if you'll get your eyes on me, I can get you back on track. You might have missed some spots here, but I can get you there. I can still get you there if you'll follow me. He says, but strip off that stuff. And the last one, he says, let us run with endurance. See, the writer of Hebrews lets us in on a little secret that we actually all know. It's so funny to me in the sense of this is something that, that we all... Um, we all understand, but we don't expect it to happen. And, and that's this, that the, the race of faith, living for Christ, is hard. We don't, we don't think that way. We think it's, it's like we know it when we hear it, but we th- when it happens to us, when we face though, that mountain or that hill, all of a sudden it's like, God, where are you? Like, how come? Why am I going through this? Some think it's like, you know, there's supposed to be like this 100-meter sprint, this race for Christ. The wind at your back in 10 seconds, woof, you're done. That was easy. But it's not. It's this endurance race with mountains, bumps along the way. There's going to be challenges to the race of faith. And that's what he was saying in Hebrews 11. So when you face challenges, don't be surprised, but don't give up. There's going to be temptations. You know, temptations are, you know, like the cat and the fish. It's like there's like these things that just are kind of there in your race of faith. Temptations to take the easier road. Like I could make more money if I just did this. Or I, you know, I could avoid some conflict if I would just alter the truth a little bit here. You know, just a little bit of that won't hurt. It's not hurting anybody else. You know, I, I'm on this race of faith, but just a little. And then there's circumstances. This one's the one that gets me every time. It's like tragedy happens in your life. As you're like, oh God, I'm trying to follow you, and then tragedy happens. You lose somebody. Someone close to you dies. Someone you prayed for, and it didn't get answered. And all of a sudden, the, the things are like the why God questions. God, why didn't you, you know, why did this happen to me? God, why didn't you stop that from happening to me when I was a child? And it's these thoughts of, God, how come? If you're, if you're there, why did this all happen? And you know, part of that question we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks is that the enemy's greatest deception is to try and convince you that he doesn't exist. That when something goes wrong, it's like God must be somewhere in this mix. And he begins to just turn you away. And you're like, ah, you know, I, don't, I want to get off this race of faith because I don't understand. It can be circumstances. It can be temptations. It can even be people. You know, if you watch the Olympics this week, Evan Dunphy, a Canadian speedwalker, which I don't know why that's in the Olympics, but uh, speedwalking is actually quite the thing. It looks, looks really ridiculous, but if you can walk 50 kilometers in a few hours, that's pretty impressive. And so Evan Dunphy was walking, as you, as you may have known, it's 50-kilometer walk. At kilometer 48, he's in third place, almost guaranteed to get the bronze if he can just continue on. And this Japanese guy comes up close to him and bumps him and knocks him off of his stride. 
off of his stride enough that this Japanese guy was able to pass him and takes the bronze medal, and Evan ended up with fourth place. But as I thought about that, I thought of this. In our race of faith, the same thing can happen. People can come along, and it's like so often people give up the race of faith because of what people did in their lives, how people are going to let you down. You know, as a child, you know, going to church and seeing my pastor and looking at him and thinking, wow, that guy, he's like so close to God. He knows God. You know, uh, I, wa- I want to be more like that guy. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, he just let everybody down by some of the stuff that he did. And it was like this thing that just like, oh, you know, is it all real? Is it all true if that guy couldn't keep it? For some of you, it's different. Maybe you're here because church, other church hurt you. Maybe it was people, you know, you thought they were best friends. Maybe it was Christians. You know, the people who claim to be followers of Christ treated you in a way that didn't look anything like Christ. And it's like, I don't know if this whole thing is real. The enemy puts that thought in your head to try and get you off of your race of faith simply because he wants you to get your eyes off the prize, get your eyes out of that spot. But he says, you know, the writer says, you've got to run with endurance because you're going to need it. Final thoughts, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul said, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one wins the prize? He says, so run to win. He said, in those athletic events, only one person wins, so run to win. We know that in this race of faith, you each have your own race to run. You're not competing against other people. That's not what he's talking about. You know, on our fishing trip, I'm glad Jesse's here this morning. I'm glad this event happened, so I had something to talk about. But we were fishing, and Jesse had, uh, we give out trophies uh, for whoever catches the biggest bass, the biggest pike, and the biggest pickerel on our fishing trip. And so Jesse had the biggest bass trophy. He actually caught another bass bigger than that to kind of guarantee him the trophy. Then on the very last night, we take this new guy out, Aaron. Uh, I don't see him today, but should have been here. So we take out Aaron, and uh, we go down a lake, and, and we're out there fishing. You just see Jesse. He's like, yeah, it's fine. He's like, we can go fishing with Aaron as long as he doesn't catch that bass, as long as he doesn't catch the biggest bass. And, and so we're down there, and, and we're fishing, and uh, Aaron says, okay, fine. He'll put a pike lure on instead of a bass lure. And as we're fishing, uh, going along, all of a sudden, oh, there he is. Then Jesse, all of a sudden, uh, he says to Aaron, he's like, hey, you know, cast over by those logs over there because, you know, that's where the pike hang out. And so he casts over, and in a second, he hooks his fish. And right away, we know as it jumps out of the water, this is a big bass. And it's like, you see the look on Jesse's face. Even in the dark, it was just evidently clear that he was not happy. And so Aaron's reeling in this fish, and it comes up to the boat, and Jesse grabs a net to net it. And I'm watching him, and he's like, he's knocking this fish on the head. And I'm like... Does he, he's been netting fish for me for three days. How has he just forgotten in a moment how to net a fish? As Aaron tries to pull up, he knocks it on the head again, trying to knock it off the line because he knows this could be the winner. And so I'm like, give me that net. I'll net this fish. And Jesse, fine, he nets it, lifts it up. And we look at this ginormous fish. And he's like, you can see in his eyes. I can't say all the words Jesse said. But... Uh, <laughs> Just because I don't have time, they weren't that bad. But he said, you know, it's like this idea, oh, I just want to win. And then we get all the way back to camp, measuring four ounces lighter, and he could have, given, he could have avoided all of that drama. Simply, end this story, simply just by, by realizing he's not in a competition, you know, the, that competitiveness against other people makes us do things we just aren't really proud of sometimes. And it's that, it's that thought. That same, same thought with us, that when we think we're in competition with other people, we'll be against them. He's like, you know what? In this race of faith, encourage one another in the race of faith. And when it comes to your race, give your best. Give your best in your race. That's all he's asking you to do. Do your best in your race of faith with Christ. And it's, uh, you know, but we're kind of pre-programmed not to do our best. We, it's just something, uh, something that's just in us. There's a guy named Rourke Denver. He's a Navy SEAL, and he, he did this event at a leadership thing. But I just want to try this morning. I just want you, if everybody can just put your hand 
hands up in the air for a minute. So we're wake everybody up for the seventh inning stretch, all right? So now I want to just roll your shoulders a little bit, get nice and loosened up, all right? Now I want you to just put your hands up as high as you can, all right? Good. Everybody got them up there? Just keep them up there, high as you can. Perfect. Okay, so now just give me one more inch. Oh, isn't that interesting? See, you thought you put them up as high as you can, but there's this thing in us. And when it comes to our race of faith, it's the same thing. We think we're giving our all. And he's saying, listen, there's a little bit more sometimes that he's calling on us to do. And it's this idea of, you know, run your race of faith. Not like Forrest Gump where you're just kind of like running. Some people are just running. They don't even know where they're going. And what it looks like to them is they're doing churchy stuff. You know, they're here this morning in church because this is my race of faith. And he says, you know what, you're, you're going to church, maybe even give some money. You're trying to behave better. And you're like, this is what, kind of what you think your race of faith looks like. And he says, listen, that's not the prize. The prize isn't going to church on Sunday or any of that kind of stuff. The prize is knowing Christ. The prize is being able to do life, run your race, knowing Christ, realizing that life's not all about here. It's about knowing him now and for eternity and keep on running to that race no matter what happens, never, never giving up. So my question for you this morning, what are the things that are distracting you from running your race of faith? What are the things that are distracting you that you just need to strip off? What are the sins that are tempting you and tripping you up or just kind of haunting you in your past? He's saying, just let go. What are the situations or circumstances you're going through right now that just keep making you doubt? Like, "Ah, I just don't know if I could follow God 100%. He says, you know what? There's some inspiration. He says, then there's some perspiration. And before you think you have to do it all on your own, he leaves them with this last thought of inspiration, Hebrews 12, too. He says, we do this. Who? We. How do we put off all those weights? How do we put off that sin? How do we run with endurance? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. It's not that idea of you've got to do it all on your own. You don't have to try harder to get your life cleaned up. You don't have to do it. He says, simply get your eyes on Jesus. And all of that stuff happens. It says, you know, the writer points us to our greatest example. He said, there was great runners behind us, but there's a great runner ahead of you. Keep your eyes on Jesus and be intentional about it. You know, so thoughts of saying, you know, in my life, as I live my life following Christ, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? I know it's like a cliche thought from way back when, but what would he do in my life? How would he treat my wife? How would he discipline my children? How would he act at work? How would he work? What would Jesus do? And for, some, for so many, they're like, I don't know. I have no idea what Jesus would do. And it's like you think, you know, I want to run this race of faith, but you have no idea how. I don't know what it looks like to see what, um, to keep my eyes on Jesus. He gave us a great opportunity to do that by just reading through the Gospels, to go home and just spend some time reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and see how Jesus acted. Hebrews says that he's the express image of God. That's how God would live on the planet if he was here today. Reading through, this is how Jesus did things. You're like, well, I, don't, I have a hard time understanding the Bible. There's this thing called the Bible Project that I encourage you to check out. So you can find it on our Facebook page. You can find it on Right Now Media. Just little snippets of, of um, Scripture that make it so simple. And he says, keep your eyes on Jesus, and it's going to deal with the, these other things in your life. Distraction. When you got your eyes on Jesus, the distractions, the weights become pretty simple to, to disappear. There's an old hymn. Maybe you know it. It goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen. (laughs) You know, it's true. Keeping your eyes on Jesus, those other things seem to fade away. Overcoming addiction and sin. 
even AA tells you, you got to find a higher power. Keep your eyes on Jesus, those things. That's what it is that strips it away. No wonder the enemy wants to get our eyes off of the prize. Jesus, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for taking guilt and shame and throwing it away. Gives us a chance to start from square one, start from scratch every, every day, living with you. So today as we leave this place, Holy Spirit, I know that we don't leave you behind, that you're with each and every one of us as your followers, that you would lead and direct us from the inside. Would you show us the way to walk? Would you show us the things and reveal the things in us that are slowing us down? Would you help us to keep our eyes on you this week? Keep our eyes on you today. Thankful for that, Lord, and may everything that, that is good that comes of that be just credited to you. May it bring glory to you, and may it bring others to know you. In your name we pray. Amen.